0: Let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall. We love the old town team. Take the Green Line to the Sicko sign. We love the old town team. Oh, the kid. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Old Town Podcast. No baseball, no sports actually, although I did watch Tom Brady's Greatest Games Marathon on ESPN on Sunday to kind of get through these dark times. We are going to keep podcasting to keep you updated on Red Sox news when there is some and hopefully will entertain you as well along the way. I'm Tim McMaster, joined by Lars Anderson. And Lars, I know a week ago you went camping to kind of get away from it all and practice social distancing. Did you get away? this weekend
1: no they they closed all the state and federal parks oh. uh unfortunately so i had to i just set up a tent in my living room and put on <laughs> put on enya and stared at the ceiling so through my rain fly all right there you go
0: close enough close enough to uh, to camping all right subscribe if you haven't already give us a five-star review we are excited This week to be joined on the podcast by a Red Sox, we'll call him a legend, Kevin Euclid. He is a Red Sox Hall of Famer, of course, currently running Loma Brewing out in the Bay Area. And the Bay Area obviously has been hit hard, California in general um with the coronavirus um ahead of i think a a lot of the country um and and they're not you can't you can't go there and pick up a brew but you can pick one up on the curbside and they may deliver it too but kevin is joining us kevin thanks a lot for coming on
2: good morning fellas or good afternoon if you're on the east coast
0: yes which is where i am (laughs) uh, but good morning for you guys both out there out west um let's start with with the loma brewing and we'll get into a lot of stuff on the podcast we're going to talk about the red Sox of back when you guys were there um a little bit about current players and we'll play some games as well but first off you you know you started loma brewing i think maybe three four years ago at this point um outside of san jose um beer also coffee how have you kind of handled the this last month or so as far as being a business owner
2: well, yeah, it's been uh, wow. It'll be four years this coming August. So it's, uh, it's time flies when you're having fun. But um, this is not <laughs> the fun time. Uh, it's been a it's been a it's been a rough week. Uh, it's a lot of uh, you know for us personally, we've been working. Uh, there's a six man, well, six man and woman crew right now, um, just kind of doing to go orders, doing. Uh, curbside pickup. Uh, we have four packs that we actually got lucky and canned last Friday, uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, and those have been selling really well. So we've been able to provide for our patrons that need a little bit of a beer during this time, uh, because I think everyone needs one right now. But um, we uh, we've been just we've just been trucking along and trying to do our best. The hardest part is just we have so many hourly employees that we had to let go uh, until we can reopen again. So We've been raising money for them. Every tip uh, that we get from curbside pickup is going to our hourly staff to help provide for them uh, until we get back open.
0: Yeah, and hopefully uh, opened up uh, sooner rather than later, but I think it's going to be a, a little bit for sure as we all try to stay safe and, and get through this thing. Um, I know you've been, you're, you're on Twitter, uh, Greek God of hops, obviously the play on the Greek God of walks, um, and you've been pretty active. I wanted to play this little clip for you, you because you, you kind of channeled your, your Boston time uh, for St. Patrick's <laughs> Day. So let, let's listen to this little <laughs> clip from Twitter.
2: Hey, what's up, kid? Just want to say thank you so much for staying open during these tough times. You know we gotta stay positive. You know it's it's uh, I can't stay positive these days. Oh, it's been a tough year. Mookie Betts got traded to the Dodgers. Tom freaking Brady is no longer gonna play for the Patriots. What's next? Tuka Rask is gonna leave the bees? Oh God, that'd be terrible. But hey, I need some of that appeasement. St. Patty's Day, baby. Got to get this green. Go green, baby. Global Brewing
0: Company, love you, <laughs> <laughs> Lars. Give him a, a one to ten grade on the accent.
1: Oh my god, that's so good! was a ten for me. I I haven't heard that accent in a while. And um, well, you hear you hear you hear Lars. You know, it's like maybe there you there you go. Uh, yeah, that's great, man.
0: And one thing I wanted to bring up was the toast to Pete Frady's um, when when Pete obviously tragically. Uh, passed away from ALS after the long battle and all the great stuff he did. Um, You kind of got the ball rolling on the toast to to Pete uh, where everyone, I guess it became kind of a national thing, but I know it was huge in Boston, obviously, and where you are out there. How did that come into your mind just to kind of pay tribute to this guy that that did so much during his battle with ALS
2: yeah so my one of my closest friends is the head coach at Boston College and Mike Gambino we've been uh we played together with the little spinners and uh been ever since that day of having been locker mates uh we've been you know we've stayed in touch and uh I got to meet Pete through Mike uh when he was a coach at Boston College and Pete played against us in spring training and um so I I got to know Pete before all the ALS stuff happened. So that that was kind of a a very unique thing because a lot of people saw him after, and uh, he got he he came to be you know huge around the country. And I think Mike was telling me uh, that I think I was one of the first Ice Bucket Challenge people uh, that did it. And I I still remember doing it in my front yard. But uh, Pete just Pete just was an unbelievable spirit uh, with face with just one of the worst things you could face. Uh, being told you have ALS, and he till till his dying day, he just fought for it. He advocated for so much good that we hopefully find a cure for it. And uh, I just wanted to honor Pete for all of his work and all of his courage uh, in in dealing with uh, the adversity they had to be dealt with.
1: But you do you've done a lot of like charity work, and I was you know you you talked about like uh, kind of your Jewish background being a. Um... A catalyst for that can you talk a little bit about that like what the, the how that factors yeah. into the jewish faith
2: yeah so it's performing a mitzvah so you know you, you we you know when you're a young kid you re- you're learning about religion in different ways and you know every kid has a different understanding or a different belief kind of and, and there's so many different beliefs out there but even within your own religion there's different ideologies and beliefs and but the one cool thing that we got taught from an early age was giving back, uh, performing a mitzvah. Um, you know, the one thing was Sadaka. So you give your coins. Um, so if you had loose change or whatever in your pocket, you would give some loose change to people in need. And they really appreciated about that. And, uh, that's, you know, I'm not a very religious guy per se. Um, I, I consider myself Jewish till the, my dying day because of the culture and the, and everything else surrounding it. Uh, I still believe in that. Um, so, but I think that was one of the coolest things that I learned from growing up is how to get back and how to have a heart and you know and empathize with people that are in need.
1: Yeah, definitely. Have you have you seen anything about the the Jewish team qualifying for? The I have. Olympics?
2: I, I definitely followed. I just saw something about Ian Kinsler getting his uh, Israeli. Um, I don't know if it's a visa. I don't know if or his citizenship maybe. Um, so he might have got a citizenship. Uh-huh. So. Um, I I was almost involved in the last go around with Team Israel, but uh, my my mother-in-law was going through breast cancer, and I had to be there for my kids because my wife was always going up there for her chemo, Um, so it didn't work out. But who knows? I mean, who knows if the Olympics will happen this year, but I would love to help out any way I can. Right. Dude,
1: any any like buddy reach out is like a offer you like a player coach kind of role? Well,
2: definitely not going to be a player. Could we see a can we see a, re- we no, see a no, return? No, no, you're Playing for me, man. I, I have another herniated disc in my back, and my days are over. I'm 41 years old. Right and there's a lot of good young Jewish ball players that need to take over the reins.
1: Dude, I played with one of your former teammates. who was 45,
2: <laughs> so you know there's still a few years left. Yeah, not this guy. My uh, my back, unfortunately, is is not the healthiest, and. Uh, I had a good run. So, I'm I'm leaving it up to the young bucks. I, I, I guarantee there's a there's a guy that's in his 20s that can perform at a high level more than I could.
1: For sure. I could
2: throw BP though.
1: Kind of staying with the baseball thing. I've been having like baseball, I think it's cuz it's like spring training time. I still have like dreams that I'm playing baseball. They're usually like nightmares <laughs> of like like I get to the field late because like my shoelace broke and then I went to the clubhouse, but the clubhouse was locked. So I tried to go to my car, but I couldn't find my car keys. And by the time I get back, like the game's already started and like I'm on the bench. Do you still have like, do you still have those kind of dreams? I
2: hated that dream. I don't know. Actually, that's a good, I (laughs) hated that dream. Like, Oh my God, I don't have my, my equipment. I'm got, I don't have my uniform and then I don't have my, yeah. Oh, those dreams are the worst. Um, it's so funny that we all had those dreams too it's like you're going up to the plate you're naked or you're going up yeah and, and that Durham, <laughs> you know scene where he is on the mound naked it's is so true um uh no yeah. I, don't, I don't think i have those dreams anymore as much as i used to but man i was always so paranoid about being late or you know i was it, it was my yeah. turn to bat and i couldn't get i like couldn't get out the door like it was the weirdest dream you know it's like i'm in the locker room i'm running trying to push that door open it's like locked and i'm like who's got the key you know and uh yeah there's just so many of those bad dreams uh but it must be just because (laughs) it's so ingrained that we played baseball every day for seven eight months at times
1: yeah those dreams always like really kicked up for me like the you know january february right before spring training i think it was like anticipatory anxiety like am i am i really ready you know like I've been doing so much but like, you know, last finishing touches of just like am do I have it all together? And but for some reason I'm still getting tortured by them. Like I'm seriously <laughs> having like one to two a week and it's like I wish I could communicate with like the dream giver whoever whatever entity controls that and be like, Okay, like I'm not playing baseball anymore. You can yeah, really knock it off, those, man. You know? I don't need this don't anxiety need anymore. anymore. I had enough yeah, anxiety when so I played baseball, you know. It's killing me. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't need that like haunting me anymore. That's yeah. awesome, though. It's so funny that you had the same thing. though I think probably a lot of players
2: uh, share that. You as know, well, it's though. true. There's so many stories of dreams, and it's it's you know, The mind is such a powerful thing, and it's such a big part of baseball. Um, to me, it's the separator. Um, I don't know how you feel, Lars, but yeah, I, I feel like talent. You know, you get to double A, you play at double A, and you can play at that level, and then the big separator is just the the mind. Uh, that gets you to the top. Um, some guys, it's talent alone, but uh, even that, uh, I think the mind is is everything uh, in in professional sports. Yeah, I
1: think we're getting a, a deeper understanding of that. Um, I know just from my own my own career, my my mental uh, skill set or lack thereof was really held me back for many years, and I I didn't really get the mental stuff down until late in my career when I, it was already kind of too late. You know, I was like I wasn't. Not too late, but you know you're 28 years old back in Double A, and it's like, I wish I I wish I had this when I was I wish I was this mentally tough or mentally together when I was 20 years old and like really had a shot to like make an impact. But um, it seemed like that was part of your game that was um, pretty squared away. I, I I was doing a bit of stalking on um, Wikipedia, <laughs> and I remember. I've told, I've told a lot of people the story, like those years with the Red Sox, uh, with you, David, Manny, PD, um, I, th- I think like watching you hit, it was like watching of a, a war in real time. You know, like sweat dripping off your f- face, like blood coming out of your ears, you know, <laughs> like just like it was, and, and you said in, I, I don't have the direct quote, but basically the, to paraphrase you, you're like, my, my job is to like make the pitcher work, like foul balls off, take pitches, like grind at bats out. That's like that is my job. And it was interesting to hear you say that. It wasn't my job is a square balls up or my job is to drive in runs. It was my job is like make this guy's life a, a living hell for my at bat. And I, I found that to be like oddly inspiring. I don't know, maybe you can talk to that. Yeah, that well bat.
2: I think that's uh you know and. <laughs> This is one of the biggest problems I see in today's game, and not to say our game was better and all that, because these guys are bigger, faster, stronger. They do a lot of other things a lot better. Um, and we did better. We and when I was playing, we did things better than the generation, whatever. But the overall part of the game that is missing a lot, what I see, is that selflessness, um, knowing that it's about nine guys right. versus that one guy and those guys in the bullpen that are going to come out there and they're going and they're and and you need to you need to get to that bullpen which is different though now too is you kind of don't want to get to that bullpen in some ways so the game right, has changed right, in that right, regard. Right. but yeah, yeah you still want to get yeah. to that bullpen even if they're really really good and they throw 95 to 100 i want to wear those guys out too in the first game cuz if i'm if we're wearing those guys out in the first game that means they're not going to be able to pitch all three games so my big thing was right. understanding that just because you get a good pitch early in the bat, everyone's like, oh, you might only get one good pitch. Well, good hitters adapt. Good hitters adjust. You have to figure out a way. And sometimes if you foul off balls, if you fight, if you take that pitch, that pitcher's pitch that's two inches off the plate, that pisses that pitcher's off. All of a sudden now he's, he's, he's mentally flustered. He had you 0-2. He had you on the ropes. Now it's full count. And now he feeds you a fastball or he feeds you a good pitch that hangs and you drive it. So I was always under the impression that like, no matter what, if I keep battling, if I keep staying within what I know how to do well, I'll get something to do eventually within the three at-bats I face them or even in that one at-bat I face them. But I'm not going to give up an at-bat early in the count in order to gain for just my self-worth, you know, because we need to work as a team and – you have to work the pitcher's counts up. You have to go in there every day thinking, how are we gonna make this guy mentally just be worn down? Like I want that guy worn down mentally more than physically at the end of the game. Sure, and you,
1: you could see that you could see that manifest with those really like potent offensive teams that you played on where like after the pitcher got through like PD and you, like guys like David and Manny had a we're going to have a better shot, you know? Cause like he, he had to work so much. And I, I think like that, that, like you said, nine guys versus one, there's a lot of strength that there's a lot of strength in that. And I think those teams prove that, prove that over and over because they're always at the kind of the top of the league and run production. And I just know, like, for me personally, as a hitter, my barometer of how, how good I was feeling was if I was comfortable getting to two strikes, I knew that like I was feeling pretty good at the plate when I was really struggling. Like I, Wanted the at bat to be over quicker cause I just wasn't comfortable hitting with two strikes. But like when I was going well, I was like, I'm fine with two strikes. I'll hit with two strikes all day. And I think that like that, that was a
2: lot of feedback to me personally. Yeah. That's, that's one of the keys to hitting, um, you know, young ball players. Uh, like I said, it's a lot of this boils down to the, the mental side of it and being able to understand it and grasp it. Sometimes it comes early, sometimes it comes later, but at some point you have to realize that you're going to hit with two strikes um it's going to happen and right. you got to be comfortable with that and you got to be under yeah it's going to happen a lot in the big leagues so <laughs> you got to be comfortable with it you got to make adjustments and you got to understand the strike zone uh there's 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 more to like you know and that and that's one of the big teaching points I talk about is early in the count you need to have a fixated small window of your like your drive like drivable pitches the pitches that you handle well and drive well that should be your focus and you need to limit the space. I say it's like a circle you know you draw a little circle within that uh, you know that k box or whatever that's called um, you know it needs to be a small window of what you want early in that bat later in that bat you don't get to choose with two strikes you got to protect but the key to me is understanding and knowing what part of the strike zone, you do well in and then understanding how that pitcher is pitching that day and if you don't and you don't do your homework you don't watch video of that pitcher if you're not doing it you're not giving yourself the best chance to formulate a game plan uh so you know i watch a lot of video of pitchers uh i watch a spin i watch movement and i watch what they did in certain counts and certain hitters so if, being a student of the game is not always just looking at your swing and, and trying to perfect your swing. Right, the greatest right. players look at the opposition and see what they do well, and then formulate a game plan against that opposition.
0: Is it fair to assume that you're not a big fan of the the launch angle revolution here and everybody just trying to get the ball up in the air? Uh,
2: no, I mean every the the thing that's okay. So the thing that drives me nuts about launch angle is every single time you hit the ball, there's a launch angle. So it's not like there's launch angle, like Babe Ruth had launch angle, right? Um, the thing that drives me nuts is focusing on exit velocity and, and focusing on launch angle together. Well, if I would have hit the ball harder, it would have been a homer. It was like, yeah, yeah, we get that. We all know that. Yeah, you fly it out to the warning track. We understand the scientific data that would say, oh, this is how you hit a homer, right? It's, it's, it's just a lot of the stuff's rhetorical. Now we just have cool information for a lot of people that like the... See, to me, a lot of it is the analytical people, the very smart, intelligent minds that think that's the coolest part of the game. Totally fine. If that's a part of the fan base that grows, that's great. But my biggest problem is there's young kids that are now working on swings to try to create launch angle. Young kids need to learn how to square the ball up. Just hit line drives progress as you grow older, get bigger, get stronger and you're learning how to drive the ball in the gap. But I remember when we were young kids, if there was the one kid that could hit home runs and no one else could, no one really talks about that kid a lot. Usually he was six foot at the age of 10, you know, and then he died off. <laughs> right. And we all have those stories. I mean, we all have those stories from our youth. My thing is I'm not anti, you know, I, I I've come to understand a lot of this. I, I've researched it and done a lot with, um, breaking down a lot of this new technology and stuff. It's just, we need to build a foundation of players at a young age to love the game. We are creating too much when you're chasing numbers and Lars, I think you can attest this. When you chase a number and you keep failing, you're going to do something to try to change it. Now, sometimes when you try to change it, it could be detrimental in the long run. So for me, I like it where guys go out there and they just learn from their mistakes and just keep building on it and trust in the process. A lot of changes take a long time in baseball. They take years of you know getting to the, the development side. Now we're like looking for the Google search and being like, I want an answer today on why I'm not hitting the ball this way. And you're not going to find it sometimes. Every once in a while, you, you flip the switch on and, and you're like, oh, wow, I just did that. Wow, that's cool. But then it's short-lived. And then you got to figure out how to keep it, you know, going and keep learning. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, Just, um, you know, starting, starting there and then going, going to the major leagues, there's like a lot of, um, it's such an interesting process for me to watch uh, having, having lived both lives. But I I remember watching you play as a, you're talking about that passion and talking about kind of cultivating that with young players. I remember watching you on TV and being like, that guy's a maniac (laughs) and I'm, you know like that guy's crazy and then i met you and you were like one of the more like level-headed people in professional baseball that i met like I, I thought i thought your perspective about like what is important in life and in baseball was like you know very sound and reasonable and i'm just wondering like you know can you, it is so interesting to to meet people that you've watched on tv and have their personalities be different and i i met you like um later in your career um i guess i'm wondering do you feel like you were able to have like a broader perspective as you played longer or you were always like that and just your your personality on tv watching you play baseball is what it is you know
2: yeah thank you um yeah it's funny a lot of people um you know punto his wife always she was like she nick punto one of my close buddies and um, in the game his wife always says man i always have to like tell people like he's not an asshole like you know cuz everyone would watch me on tv and see a whole different person and she's like can you stop acting that way so i stop defending you and i'm like i don't know what to tell you um, but yeah no i was a maniac on the field that was my mindset is every single day i want to kick that team's ass across the way I don't want to beat them four to three. I want to beat them fourteen to three every single day. I want no room for error where we cannot lose this game. Uh, So, yeah, I think my mindset on the field was passion was was all out as hard as you can play. I grew up with Pete Rose, so that was that was a mentor for a lot of us young you know players in Cincinnati that's what we did we played out like pete like and so when we took the field we had to be pete rose our dads expected it and that's who we were but yeah i think you know that was that was you know as i got older you know i think i had to you know calm it down a little bit more and stuff and and understand it and then but for me and i think lars you know you can attest this a lot of times why i got frustrated mad was i was mad at myself You know, like people like thought I was always mad at like something else. Like, yeah, there was times I was mad at umpire. You know, I thought it was a bad call. Sometimes they were, sometimes they were right with the call. Sometimes they were wrong. But I was always pissed because I just wanted an edge. I always wanted to be better. I always thought I could do better. So my frustrations, a lot were kind of you know self inflicted in a lot, and the way I just wanted to always be better. You know, nothing was handed to me. You know, I I had to work my butt off, and so. I just felt that every single time I play the game, I have to be at a higher level because I'm surrounded by these super talented, six three, you know, two hundred and ten pound dudes that are just super, you know, super athletes, you know. And I just you know, that was my mindset a lot. And as you grow and you, you start having a better understanding and that's the cool part of maturing as a baseball player too, is You get to play with different guys, different personalities, and then you kind of just grow and and learn along the way. But the one thing that I always try to do is always try to be humbled. Um, Just always try to be, you know, it didn't matter how much money I made, how much fame I had. I just always wanted to be just that level-headed guy as much as I could be. I didn't think I was better than anyone. Um, I didn't deal with fame that well either, uh, as Lars can attest to in a lot of ways. Um, (laughs) It wasn't something that I loved. Because I I just didn't I never saw myself as being better than someone. Yes, I was making more money, yes, I was living my dreams, but I didn't see myself in that in that realm.
0: You mentioned having to kind of work for everything you got, and maybe there was a chip on the shoulder because of that. Uh, Your brother-in-law came from a similar kind of situation, and that's Tom Brady for people that don't realize that, Um, you know, the 199th pick and all that. It's been an interesting couple of weeks for him. Did you have any inside information along the way, or were you as surprised as all of us when he made the decision to head down to Tampa Uh, Bay? I
2: knew of the teams uh, that he was looking to sign with, but we found out literally like the same day everyone else did. So... Um, the problem is that, you know, no one can hide anything anymore. Uh, teams are the ones, you know, telling reporters and agents and players, who knows? I mean, it's, it's crazy how people get information and put it out there. So we found out, uh, the same day everyone else did. So, um, kind of cool for him to have a new opportunity. Uh, same, you know, like I said, he's the same kind of mindset as myself and chip on the shoulder was never handed anything, had to work for it. Um, and you can use that and you but you also got to be smart you got to know how to use the chip on your shoulder in the right ways cuz sometimes it can be detrimental
0: yeah that makes a of, that makes a whole lot of sense and and i think it's been neat the last week because new england as a whole kind of saw this coming i think and they were able to just kind of give him a big thank you. And it doesn't seem like there's there's anything other than that. It's just like thank you for everything. And I think obviously when he comes back, it'll be a, uh, a hero's welcome in New England. And I think he'll uh, he'll appreciate that then um, as well. Tournaments have been canceled, leagues suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's really only been about a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away Completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. In fact, we actually have a Slack channel started up called Let's Get Weird. Just as many weird ideas as you can throw in there, and and they're piling up. So we got great stories out there. The entire NCAA tournament recreated through a 10-year-old video game. Of course, the latest on NFL Free Agency. And how would Major League teams fare if their mascots were thrown into battle? It's during times like this that The Athletic can keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see... For yourself, the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us to all sports, those don't go away. So go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod for 40% off an annual subscription we should get to the current state of the game a little bit um we've talked on this Lars we've talked about the Astros the cheating scandal um and I and I know your take uh you what was kind of your thought process when you heard about that would you have succeeded more hearing a trash can bang when you were in the batter's box or would you have preferred to not not be in that situation
2: hundred <laughs> percent. You can bang on that trash can anytime you uh, want, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, hundred percent. It, it, it's it's more for off-speed pitches, yeah. you know, because you're looking fastball most of the time, especially nowadays with guys throwing hard. I mean, some guys cheat. Uh, you know, I played with a guy like Kevin Millar. He was a guesser. He was a guess hitter, was good at it. Um, he talks about his days of catching in the minor leagues that help him be a really good guess hitter. And learning how to call game. So, you know, I, th- you know, for me, it was just such a disappointment. Um, a lot, I, the players are very much to blame. The coaches are much to blame, but I side on a different thing in this than a lot of people. And a lot of people don't, I, I, I believe the players are hundred percent at fault, but Jeff Lunow and his gang of individuals that came up with the algorithm and did the Excel spreadsheets without those, those guys wouldn't have had it. So, um, I'm, I hold them a little bit higher, um, but the players, you know, the players, what they did was uh, bad and they, and the coaching staff and whoever did, you know, was a part of it was bad. But I really believe that we're letting a lot of people, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of worried if there is any individual still working with Astros that was a part of this in any way um, and they still have a job Uh, that that'd be very interesting to see.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, um, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the the Red Sox stuff still yet to come out, um, but but we'll see where that goes from here. As far as the Red Sox and this current team, uh, I know you're not like a watching every game every night um, fan of the team, you but you're still you know a fan of baseball and you pay attention. Um, when you look at this current Red Sox roster, um, is there a guy that that's kind of a favorite? Uh, of yours and and when you look and you kind of root for him for whatever reason or or love his game
2: well yeah I mean it's it's crazy uh you you realize how much older you're getting and how quick the game is passing you by when David Ortiz is retired and Pedroia is now pretty much on that way with uh you know his knee injury and which is just it was just so sad to hear um but uh, yeah, it's 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 wild. I don't watch as much Red Sox because I work with the Cubs now. But uh, Xander Bogarts is probably one of my favorite players on that team. Uh, I've had a, a lot of respect for him as a player and watching him blossom from a young, really young player into what he's become. And it's a lot of fun to watch him. I mean, he's it's, it's kind of interesting. And I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I feel like Xander Bogarts might go under the, the radar more, which is kind of weird being a guy that's in Boston. Yeah. But I think it's because JD and the other guys around him and Mookie. But I think Xander Bogarts is a little more underrated than some put him out there to be.
1: I definitely agree, I, and even in comparison with like some of the other shortstops in the league right now, like you know Lindor and guys like that, he he is he seems to produce like at the highest level, but doesn't have that same sort of like a star power for some reason. But I, for me, he's he's my favorite guy to watch play on that team too. Like his his actions in the field, like the ease at which he swings the bat. And also he's like a very, um, I don't know. He's like a calming presence on the field. I think, I think that's important in Boston, especially for like a young guy, you know, he's born and bred or not born in Boston, but he's came through the minor league system with them. And just to, I mean, you know, playing there is, it takes a a very special individual. And I think it kind of takes like, um, someone with like kind of, uh, intensity, like you or Pedroia to succeed there or someone who's like, like, super super like calm you know and then he seems to kind of have that yeah you know, he, he doesn't seem to get flustered um he seems to be like fully fully in his own mind and i think that that goes well with him so yeah it's interesting though like him him playing That's in such a such a big market and not not having that that kind of notoriety that you would
2: expect yeah i think he just got shadowed out by the other two amazing players that get more of the attention but I agree. Uh, I think people don't understand that. I've always said this, uh, people ask me like, about what do you think about that signing? You know, that to, to sign a free agent in Boston is not easy. Um, you gotta have thick skin. Uh, I, I, I think the key to being a Red Sox team being good is is your draft. Um, I'm good buddies with, uh, Mike Rickard, uh, who works for the Red Sox. He was a coach of mine in the Cape and, you know, he's the scouting director and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I always tell them, like, man, draft well here and, and develop those guys because that's the easiest way to make it and, and have success is because once you get into the system and you right. just kind of see how from each town you go, especially once you get to double-A in Portland and then, well, I guess it's not Paul Tuckett. It's Worcester now. But, um, Worcester. you know, you're around the media a little bit, and you're under a little bit of uh, pressure at those levels, and the fan bases there are huge fans of the Red Sox, and, and they, and they kind of hold you – you know, the same standards as playing at the major league level, which is, it's, it's a good way to come up in the system. Um, You, you learn quick and then you learn some thick skin through it. And uh, I think that's the hardest part too, is weeding out the guys at the free agency. Uh, It's, it's not easy to get the right players that can understand and take on the mindset of the fan base, the media and just the pressures that come with it. But you, what I always say, Lars, is the key is get, high character guys that are accountable dudes. The more accountable the guys are of a like a player and if you do your research correctly, the guys that hold themselves to a higher standard over the fan base and the media will always have success. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point. Like coming through the system really does kind of um it, you you build some thicker skin with that as opposed to like, you know, I, I remember and maybe you can speak to this, I remember when we signed um uh, Carl Crawford, you know, superstar, like amazing mm-hmm. player. And he just was not a good fit. His personality wasn't a good fit in Boston, you know, but coming from Tampa and he, like he didn't have that like kind of buffering period through the minor leagues. Like if he was drafted by the Red Sox, I wonder if it would have been different, but like, it, it really is important to like the free agents to have that kind of mentality because it's, is much like success in Boston. is not just about being a good player. Um, unfortunately for some guys it's there's so much more but i wanted to ask you um you did play for a little bit you spent one season in new york i believe yeah it was just one year
2: oh uh, yeah that yeah one year 2013
1: so can you like compare and contrast those two fan bases being playing at home for both those places like what the what the differences are or similarities or whatever
2: yeah um well yeah i didn't get to play it a lot because i blew out my back on a that's a whole nother story in itself but um, basically uh, yeah no it's interesting uh, playing in New York uh, you know Yankee fans yeah I, I think the fan bases are very similar uh, I think you have the similarities with the fan bases and the passion and the uh, just wanting their teams to be great and and being very vocal about it I think the only difference that I really saw was and both you know top, you know top organizations and take care of their players that's that's definitely the key. Uh, for both Boston and New York. But I think the media was easier in New York than it was in Boston. Um, I, that's the only thing that I noticed was uh, there was – I think in New York there's just so much going on that the newspapers mm-hmm. – and the, you, you get lost in New York City. Um, and that was just the biggest difference that I saw is – Yeah, they think you're cool because you play for the New York Yankees, but look who's walking down the street next to you. It's a a famous celebrity uh, actor that people care more about. So uh, that was probably the difference that I saw. But, you know, both story franchises that have done a lot of amazing things within the game and the rivalry is, is is just incredible. The energy and passion around it is always fun.
0: Yeah, it's been cool. It's been back the last couple of years, um, back to, to kind of when you were first breaking into the league and how oh, yeah. intense it was uh, back then in 03, 04, 05 and, and those those teams. Um, I do want to ask you, when you were you with were the Red Sox and there's this um, this hot prospect on his way up, <laughs> Lars Anderson, first mm-hmm. impressions of this kid from California coming up through the Red Sox system?
2: I was like, man, we got Spicoli here, man. This is awesome. (laughs) No, uh, Lars was just, uh, he he was just, uh, you know, a free love, you know, free loving spirit. That's just like, just always had a smile. Was always asking questions. Uh, Just, he just, he just, he wanted to learn more about the game. So him and his uh, sidekick Ryan Kalish, (laughs) uh, we had a lot of fun with those two. But you know, they were just guys that. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to play the game hard. They wanted just to keep grinding away. And I think that was, you know, the, you know, different personalities, and I love that. I love the different personalities. And like, you know, everyone doesn't have to be the same or think the same. And you know, these guys were two guys that I, I really enjoy. But you know, Lars, you know, watching him hit and just you know watching that process, and then at first base, so I got a, I, I helped him out a little bit at first base because I don't know how much help I was because I was right-handed he's left-handed which is you know it's a little different but you know some of the basics just trying to teach him you know a little bit about that and, and watching him progress and become a better first baseman over the years was pretty cool
1: playing playing first base was a a process for me and uh, it took a while to kind of feel comfortable there at, at a professional level so it was always really helpful being in bringing a spring training camp with you can um i remember we were taking ground balls one time you know these immaculate fields no bad hops and uh, I think Yuke was kind of ahead of his time with, like, the workload thing because, you know, we were out there just like he, he would never miss a ball, you know. <laughs> and he was, like, kind of like, you know, you're just frying there. We we have a game later on in the day. He's like, okay, like, I'm not going to miss any of these balls. We can probably wrap it up now. He kind of said to me, and we, well, we had a good laugh about it. But it was pretty funny. It was just the, <laughs> the sheer amount of ground balls on this immaculate field that would never take a bad hop, you know. I was yeah. I was over there kicking stuff off my heels and like I wish I felt that comfortable. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, you get to that point, you know, later as you just keep working and uh, you know, for me, I took I was a third baseman before, so I felt like th- first base was a lot easier because I had a bigger glove and you could <laughs> knock the ball down but I I took it, you know, my 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 ground balls of getting beat up were at third base, Lars. So don't worry. I I looked. I I felt awful over there some days and felt like, man, there's I have zero chance of being a third base in this league. But it's just about just getting in routines and picking the brains of of guys that have been through it. You know, there's little. That's why I always say to you know, a lot of young players have a hard time now. They don't ask questions. And I I don't understand it. Like I, I get around them like. You're not even asking your teammate a question. Like go ask them a question about something other than like life. Like ask them a baseball question. Ask them like, hey, man, like, you know, when you get this short hop, what, what kind of like what thought process do you have or what, you know, and we had that, you know, we talked about that stuff a lot. And so that's what I tell young players is talk to each other, especially an older player that you look up to, ask them a good baseball question. And you can learn a lot of valuable things by just asking one question. Yeah, and I—I I
1: mean, just my experience with you, um, you made that really easy. Not—not—not not, not all veterans are like that, but like you, it seemed like you. I don't know if this is because of an experience you had when you were coming up, but you were always like so accommodating to younger players. Just about about stuff on the field and off the field, really. Like, I—I uh, I was always super comfortable um, being open with you about questions that I had about playing, about like you know what I should wear on the plane, you know, just silly stuff like that but you're when you're when you're getting called up to the major leagues like at least for me I was trying to kind of fit in right away and not I didn't want to be like the loud new guy in the clubhouse I wanted to you know assimilate quickly so it was really nice for like a younger player to have a a veteran kind of take him under his wing and I'm wondering if that was if that was like a conscious decision that you made when you kind of became
2: an, an established entity in the big leagues. That's actually a good question. I I don't think it was more of a conscious effort. I think it's more just understanding that when I came up, there was tons of veterans. I mean, everyone had like four and a half years of service time. So for me, it was uh, a lot about just trying to um, survive. And it was a lot different. You know, man, guys were really hard. I mean, they would bury you. I mean, the, oh, it was rough. Right. Um, but if they stopped burying you, you know they didn't like you. So it was always good when they were burying you. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I I just want to make sure guys, you know, felt comfortable, like in a sense of not like too comfortable, but like make it known that you have to, you have to, you will get the respect of your teammates, but why, it's also kind of weird too is like, oh don't talk to him. You're not allowed to talk to him. I'm like, well, that's my teammate, man. We're supposed to go to battle together out there and try to win a ball game, but I can't talk to him. Like that doesn't make any sense. So um, I, I didn't like that part of it. I thought that, Hey, you know, if, if there's guys that, you know, I want to make sure that guys are doing the right things right. because I know if they mentally are doing the right things, whether it be, like you said, what a tire to wear, uh, what time you need to be here. All the more they get good information, the better they will be on the field for us as a team. Now, that's the whole because point. Because That's yeah. less anxiety, you know, right. less than the anxiety. There's already a ton of anxiety there. So, you know, for me, it was just lessening the anxiety of all you young guys and, making sure you guys could help contribute and win ballgames. Right. It wasn't just because I'm awesome. <laughs> well, that had something to do with right. it too. I mean. I figured.
0: <laughs> so we have this rundown uh, that we kind of use to, to put together the show each week, uh, you can, and it's like different bullet points. And Lars has on here, Mastiff on private jet. <laughs> um, oh, yes. I don't know how to transition to that, so I'm just throwing it out there. Lars, I don't yes. know if you want to tell the story or if it's for for you. Uh
1: we'll, we'll, I we'll get both we'll get both sides. Go for it, you okay. Yeah.
2: Oh well, yeah, so uh on a on a yeah, sorry to be on a somber note that we, we had to put that dog oh, down man, about Adam. a month ago. Yeah. Oh no um, well, tribute. That was one of the tribute, toughest man. days of my life. Yeah, so this is a tribute to Max. He was a great dog, but yeah, I had an Eng- I have, I had, well, I, I had two English mastiffs just recently. We had to put one down, but I have a two-year-old mastiff now. Um, love them. They're just great dogs, great family dogs. But I had this English mastiff. We were playing, and the problem was I couldn't.
0: <laughs>
2: and as Lars can attest, I'm not a private jet type of guy. No, <laughs> um, I don't fly private jets. And um, but I had to get my dog with me to go. Was this this is going to spring training? Wasn't it? Yeah, going um, to spring training. Yeah, so I was going to spring train. I had to bring my dog with me, uh, and so I, I was like, "I gotta get a private jet with this with his 160 pound animal." And I was I'm living in the Bay Area, and I know Lars is there, so I was like, "Hey, Lars, man, you want to go on this? Uh, you know, I got I got a, I got a ride for you if you want to go to spring training." <laughs> Little did you know that I was going to bring my mastiff with me too, and this dog is just sitting there, and he's not. It he kind of was uh, a little intimidating because he'd bark at people um, to get out of space. But he's in the middle of like the the aisle, like the, in private jets. The aisles are tiny, and he's just taking up the whole aisle for what like a five hour trip. <laughs> but uh, oh man, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty. It was pretty wild. Uh, those days of. Spoiling my English massive, you know, rotten. It's <laughs> unbelievable. That dog cost me a lot of money, but he was well worth it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sweet dog.
1: I remember like I was uh I always drove from California to Fort Myers. It was kind of like my little ritual, it was five day drive. And I, I just found it to be like a kind of a a nice way to start the season and kind of decompress before like the craziness of professional baseball started for eight months. And yeah, I was like a week, a week away from leaving, maybe even less than that. And you hit me up and he's like, yeah, basically, Hey, you want to ride? And I was like, okay, I should probably do this. It sounds like a good experience that I can talk about later on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a good trip. And But seriously, like if, if you can ever fly on a pr- private jet, that's like such a more enjoyable experience than a commercial flight. Oh, I mean, it's ridiculous. If I, if I had like Elon Musk money, I would do that a lot. Well, maybe not, but I'm not sure. But it was uh it was so
2: much nicer. Yeah, uh, I used to do one of those flights a year um, and spoil myself. And now that I don't make the income I made before, we have canceled, and I have and I have too many passengers now, so right. we've canceled that all together. Good old days.
1: That's very that's very responsible of you. You, I don't want to turn on an ESPN thirty for thirty and see <laughs> see you on a
2: broke episode. Well, happy about that. At this point, I think we're all going broke if uh, this this <laughs> keeps going. So let's hopefully this coronavirus ends quick so we can all get back to making some money,
0: living yeah, get life, get back to it. get back to selling beer. It's, yeah, um, you're right. it's you're, you're also still with the Cubs. Um, you you want to talk about a little bit just what you do with it, with uh, Theo and company over there
2: yeah so I'm basically like a special assistant type role where I just come to I go to spring training then I come out throughout the year um, I've been very lucky I was like I said before I throw BP um, so that that's that's one of my specialties as a coach uh, so I got that <laughs> uh, which is, is is a good thing to have for anyone out there that wants to be a coach if you don't throw BP it's gonna be hard to get hired in a lot of ways uh so yeah so i throw bp hang out with the guys hang out with the coaches just uh, assess the players uh you know work you know some of the minor league guys that come up to the games talk to them uh kind of evaluate watch them and it, it, it keeps me in the game and I, I i went through like a two-year period after that i was like oh man i don't know if you know baseball 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 and then you know lately over the past few years i, I you, you can't take it away from me. I, I love baseball more than anything. It, it's in me. It's in my blood. it will always be there. And, uh, who knows, maybe someday I'll coach, but I got a five-year-old a seven-year-old soon to be 14 year old and I want to be in their lives. So I don't know. I, I, I hope to someday get back into coaching and in some capacity and try it out, but we'll see.
0: So you have still have the love of baseball and obviously the love of brew now um, with Loma Brewery. So we wanted to kind of merge the two uh, to finish things off here with a little bit of a game. Um, we're basically going to share a player name, a former teammate of yours, um, and you have to pick the Loma Brewery beer style that best goes with that player. You ready?
2: Oh, yeah, this is going to be tough. <laughs> but we'll all get right. it. Uh, we'll, well when we put it.
0: this game together, I, I ran it by Lars and we figured it's either gonna be really good or it's gonna crash and burn. But <laughs> you, you know, either way it's fun. It's uh, like life. It's all good. <laughs> so we'll start uh here we'll start with David Ortiz. Which uh Loma beer goes best for David Ortiz?
2: <laughs> oh man. I'm gonna have to go with an Imperial stout. <laughs> <laughs> And David, David will laugh at that joke because we always tell him how dark he is. But um, it's more because Imperial Stouts are just—they're like home run hitters, man. They're—they're—they're they're, they're big dogs, you know, and they're—they're they're tough. You know, they're tough to take down. You know, you take too many down, they'll—they'll they'll knock you down. So he's a big dog. So I'm gonna go with Imperial Stout. The broken hearted the one we have on right now.
1: The br- I, I love the names. Your, the names of your brews are – you have to include them in here, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's broken a, hearted is after our,
2: our last brewer who had uh, who left and went to Scotland. Um, so she made this right before she went, so we broke in and then Hearted because we are Broken-Hearted over her leaving, but so yeah.
1: So for number two on the list, we have uh, another salty veteran – corner infielder uh mike lowell
2: mike lowell wow um well we don't have any cuban beers <laughs> he was cuban uh, oh, and puerto rican i think um wow well i guess i'll have to go with the uh, the loma vita which is the mexican lager so it's a light lager you know he's a miami guy so loggers are and it's got a little hint of lime so i'll go with uh mike lowell is a uh, like or Loma Vida, a nice logger. Good for like a hot, a hot. Yeah, because he likes going so on boats. I... Yeah, he's a boat guy and fishing. Right. I think so. We'll go with that.
0: All right, number three is, uh, and you mentioned him a little bit earlier in the podcast, but Dustin Pedroia.
2: Ooh, Dustin Pedroia. Small and mighty. I'm trying to think of something that is <laughs> small and mighty. Oh wow, that's a that's a good question. I'm trying to think of the beers we have on right now. What
1: about your double IPA that comes in, in
2: less that's ounces? That's the Greek. That's the Greek God of hops. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess well. I mean, he could he could take mine. You know. There you go. But uh, yeah. You're not you're not on this list, so that's okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll give him Greek out of hops because we yeah. have to serve it in a smaller smaller glass, 13 ounce glass. It's good one, Lars. And uh, yeah, I mean, I got to play next to that guy more than anyone. At first, we you know we shared that right side of the infield, so I'm gonna give him my beer, the Greek out of hops. Okay, for
1: number four, we have um, the one and only Jonathan Papelbon.
2: Oh, my God. Well, if it's Jonathan Rocker, we got to – (laughs) wow. We used to call him that in a lot of ways. Pap, he's the closer, so oof. Man, the closer, I would – you know, after having a closer, that would be like a double IPA or a stout, but uh, let's go with the – Holy cow! This, this like I said, this is a tough game. Oh, so we got a new one out. It's a Peko Persuasion. It's a West Coast, very hoppy. So if you, uh, it's, it's a West Coast and a hoppy guy. Um, you know, Pap was a, a fun-loving dude. So we're gonna go with the Peco Persuasion because it will end your night really well. It's a high. It's like a high seven percent alcohol beer. So it will it will close your night.
0: I'm picturing what him is, uh dancing after clinching an 07 yeah. on the field. Uh all right, uh we got two left. Uh next one is Ryan Kalish, who you mentioned also, uh, Lars's buddy. Oh
2: wow, Kalish. Well we'll give since I'm not on this list, we'll give him the jujitsu. Hazy IPA. <laughs> As a fellow Jewish guy, we'll give him the jujitsu. Well done. That was easy. Uh,
1: very clever. Um Okay, last on the list, definitely not least. This is kind of self-indulgent of me, but uh, what do you got for Lars Anderson?
2: Lars, this is actually perfect. We have Hazy, a beer. easy
0: IPA, maybe? No,
2: yeah. no, no. This is even better. We just brewed this beer. Unfortunately, we haven't put it on tap yet because the shutdown happened. But our brewer, Justin Peck, he brewed up this mint blonde ale. yes minty like Lars (laughs) and a blonde like Lars and the name of the beer is called make out session oh my god (laughs) I'm still working on my first kiss but that sounds great (laughs) so yeah make out session after a blonde ale with mint so fresh breath blonde there you go buddy right on. so make sure you give me the
1: hibiscus well
2: yeah that kind of that kind of flows with who you are a little hibiscus shmobiscus but yeah no this uh make out session blonde ale man cuz that there's this this blonde perfect. locks i love it man
0: i think that was a complete success of that game by the way we did not crash it <laughs> yeah that worked better than we thought yeah that was good stuff um well yeah. we've we've taken more than enough of your time abuke i know i know that you have plenty of it right now with everything that's going on but thank you so much for coming on the podcast good luck with loma brewing and getting it back up and running and if People are out there by the Bay Area near San Jose. Definitely swing by for the curbside pickup. Pick up your Loma Brewery. We all need a drink every once in a while through uh, through this coronavirus. So thanks for coming on and talking about all this different stuff.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. And no matter where you live, if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, support your local businesses. They need your help this time. And, uh, yeah, hashtag support local.
0: The great Kevin Euclid. He didn't disappoint, Lars. Um, we've been um, kind of working on getting him on for a little bit here. Actually, before the virus um, kind of took hold here in the United States, we were hoping to have him on to talk more about baseball getting going. But with Loma Brewery, brewery and everything, it seemed like a, a perfect time because he's doing so much to try to keep things going out there uh, by the Bay Area. But you said he would not disappoint, and he didn't. What a great guest.
1: Yeah, that was so much fun. Um it's really... Uh... He has a unique perspective on the game, and um, I'm not surprised that he's so willing to share it, too. It seems like he, he, he cares about like the health and growth of the game, so it's, it's good to have people like that uh, around.
0: Yeah, we'll see if we can get him back, like we said, a little bit later in the season once baseball's going and the Red Sox are back on the field uh, to talk more about the game itself. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Um, we'll be with you, back with you early next week unless some breaking news happens and then we maybe have an emergency podcast. But um, this has been a lot of fun. Follow Lars on Twitter, underscore Lars E. Anderson. I'm there at Tim M. McMaster. We'll talk to you again next time.